Good evening. Welcome to our Bible study time for this Wednesday evening. We are in the book of Psalms chapter 15. Psalms chapter 15. In introducing this study on Sunday, I brought to our attention some of the benefits of the study of Psalms. And one that I listed was moral instruction we need from God. Let me say that all the moral instruction in Psalms connects perfectly to the teaching of Christ. And it reminds us that there are certain foundational moral truths which have permanence, which have always been so. And some of those will emerge in the first part of our study tonight in Psalms. We are in chapter 15. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful, we praise Thee, we are here to honor Your Word, not only through reading and study, but keeping Your commandments day to day. In Christ's name, amen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and this is Psalm chapter 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in Your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. I want to go to the very beginning of this chapter in Psalms chapter 15. And we're going to discuss for the first few moments of our time together what I'm going to call Hebrew terminology in verse 1 the reference to the tent or the tabernacle and the holy hill. That's understood based on our knowledge of Israel in the Old Testament. For the Jewish audience, these words signaled their approach to worship God. So as they went to the tent the tabernacle, and later under Solomon, the temple, as they ascended up the hill. That language pertains to Israel's approach to God. Now, when you talk about approaching God, one of the fundamental questions that will come up immediately is, who can? Who can approach God? Not just anyone can come into God's presence. Not just anyone can dwell with God, enjoy fellowship with God. So what follows is a certain kind of person who can have fellowship with God, who can come into his presence and dwell with him. And that person is described here first with a general statement and then what comes under that are specific examples of the kind of person who can dwell with God. The sum of this is only the righteous can approach God and have fellowship with God. 
dwell with him. The righteous person is one who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Now, that's a general description. It begs for specifics. And specific examples are then given. Underneath that broad phrase, walks blamelessly and does what is right, what follows are specific examples of righteousness. And so the phrase in verse 2 is where we begin to look at the specifics of this. Speaks truth in his heart. Beginning here, the writer, David, begins to describe specific examples or elements of righteousness. First, this is integrity, but I believe what this is, primarily here, is internal integrity. Speaks truth in his heart. Even if you have another translation, it's going to say from the heart. So I want to emphasize the location of integrity. All honesty, all integrity is located inside. Before it ever comes out through your tongue or actions, all integrity is located inside. And when you drill down basically into that, what you have is first honesty with yourself about yourself and your relationship with God. Integrity needs to be grounded there, inside who you are, your relationship with God. That's the best way I know to describe this, internal integrity. Speaking honestly with yourself about yourself and your relationship with God. One cannot be righteous if you are not <clears throat> honest in your heart, honest from your heart, honest about who you are and your relationship with God. So here is a specific part of what it means to be righteous. Tell the truth to yourself. Speaks truth in his heart. Now, if you are honest inside, then that righteousness inside will come out through the use of your tongue. And in the use of their, your tongue, there will be certain things you will not say because they were not inside you. So we move to the next specific now. Does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So integrity and honesty begins inside and as it expresses itself, it does not express itself this way. So righteousness is defined by the negative here. Does not slander with his tongue. Slander. That's what happens when I say something untrue about someone that results intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that person's reputation. Slander is more than just a mistake. I may say about someone, for example, yes, he will be here in a few minutes, he's on his way to the building. I may be misinformed. Or I just may be mixed up about one person and another. I need to admit I was mistaken, but I didn't damage anyone with that misinformation. Slander, however, is what happens 
when I say something untrue about someone <coughs> that results intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that person's reputation. The righteous person doesn't do this. The righteous person doesn't do this. In many places in Scripture, God says he hates slander. Proverbs 6 and verse 16 would be one example. My friend Bob Owen says of slander, slander pictures a verbal slap which is not designed simply to share information but to harm the image of the other party. The righteous person is described first internally, internal integrity, honesty in his heart. And then as that honesty comes out, here is something the righteous person will not do. It says, does not slander with his tongue. Then it goes on. The righteous person does no evil to his neighbor. And again, uh, this is more than a mistake or an accident you run into somebody's mailbox or something. That's not what we're talking about. The phraseology here in all of these phrases that are connected together suggests malice. Something in your heart that isn't right. Wanting to hurt someone. An insult. An ugly put down. The righteous person doesn't do this. And then that last phrase in verse 3. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. If someone says something to you that is bad about me, what I'd like for you to do first is come to me. Come to me rather than just take up that reproach and go pass it on. So these phrases contain negative descriptions of righteousness. By that I mean this is how a righteous person does not think does not speak, no slander, no evil, no taking up of reproaches. And it may occur to you, when we read these first three verses in Psalm 15, it may occur to you, this is about maturity before God. Maturity and kindness based on our respect for God and what God has said about how we respond to Him and therefore how we treat others. So, who, that's the question, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Questions or comments so far? This is about who can approach God and be in his presence. Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Simply restated, the righteous person is attracted to righteous people. The righteous person is attracted to to righteous people. The righteous person makes a clear distinction between vile people 
and those who fear the Lord. That very clear distinction in mind is what is expressed here. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. That's a distinction that occurs internally, and it shows up in your association. And the righteous person swears to his own hurt and does not change. Sometimes when preachers are engaged in sermon preparation, you'll come to a statement, maybe in the book of Psalms or somewhere else, and you go out in search of an illustration. And sometimes our immediate thought is we're going to have to go out and find an illustration somewhere. Very often, the Bible contains its own illustration. So, <clears throat> I want you to listen to this again, and then I've got a, a question for you. Swears to his own hurt and does not change. What Old Testament character illustrates what we just read? Hint, in the book of Judges, now it all comes together, right? You had the answer right on the tip of your tongue. Jephthah is an example of this. Here's that story. It's in Judges 11. Facing an attacking army of the Ammonites, it seemed to his advantage to promise whatever was necessary in order to obtain God's help. And it says in Judges 11, 30 and 31, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Who came out the door? His daughter. You're with me now. You remember now. He arrives home and first to exit his door was his daughter, his only child. Now there's been considerable discussion about what he actually did, but one thing is certain, he kept his vow. In Judges 11.35, I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back. This may be a factor in why Jephthah was included in those referenced in Hebrews chapter 11 who were faithful to the Lord. A righteous person keeps his word even when it hurts. Verse 5. Negative descriptions of righteousness continue. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Well, this verse has sparked considerable discussion. Two questions immediately come to mind when people read this verse, especially if they only read this verse. Two questions will come up. One, can you charge someone interest? And the second question is, can you pay interest? I think most of us are pretty settled on the second one of those. But the question comes up. Is this just about interest that takes advantage of the borrower? Is this something that pertained to the usury laws in the Old Testament? I'm not going to go through all the arguments one way or the other and in every direction, but I'll tell you what I see, which is all I can ever do. 
when I connect all these phrases, I see something in this statement that damages another party. Because I'm looking at all the phrases as they are collected together here. Something that damages another party. I don't see this as merely an economic practice or a financial transaction. Given context, I see this as a practice that takes advantage of the borrower. And some translations have the word instead of interest in the English Standard Version, taking money at interest, uh, some translations have the word usury. U-S-U-R-Y and one meaning of the Hebrew word is unlawful interest. And if you will look up the word usury in English dictionaries, you will see restrictions against exorbitant interest where you're gouging someone with interest. And there's an example of this in the Bible. Here again, we read something. We don't need to go outside the Bible all the time. Sometimes the illustrations are there. there were, I'm, I'm going to make a question out of this too. There was a man who was a leader, if I, if I say too much, it'll just give it away, and he saw among the people the taking of exorbitant interest and violating what the Mosaic statute said about such an economic practice. What was his name? My hearing is just gone. That's Nehemiah. That's Nehemiah. This happened in the time of Nehemiah and he reacted seriously to unlawful interest and that's what many commentaries say about the text here. I will add this that I found in uh, J.A. Alexander's comments. There is an obvious allusion here to the frequent prohibition in the Mosaic law not of lending money upon interest for commercial purposes, a practice then unknown, but of usurious lending to the poor, especially to poor Israelites. So my take on this would be, this is in line with what Nehemiah saw, that he prohibited taking interest that is damaging uh, to the uh, borrower. Questions or comments? Now, it could be, <clears throat> could be, that the most important phrase in the paragraph comes at the end. Every phrase is important, but we don't want to leave this one out. He who does these things shall never be moved. Being righteous, and this takes you all the way back to walking blamelessly and does what is right. Being righteous is a source of daily life strength. Daily life strength. Being righteous prepares you for the storms in life, equips you for good relationships with people, and most of all is pleasing to God and eternally rewarding. So it provides stability and strength to the one who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Listen again to the 15th Psalm, and then I have some other material for you and my takeaways. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, 
and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Questions or comments? Some of you who do the daily Bible reading You've read Psalms over and over many years, and it may occur to you when you're in one part of Psalms that you've heard this before. There is considerable amount of literary repetition in the book of Psalms. Any of you, if you have a reference Bible, it's going to tell you, so I'll let you look down if you want to look at your references. But is there anything else like this in the book of Psalms that sounds just almost exactly like this? Exactly. My hearing has come back. (laughs) Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, almost exactly. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. All of this is about one's approach to God. Anything else before my takeaways? I have several. Takeaways. There's Psalm 24, 3 to 6. <clears throat> Takeaways. Not everybody can enter into fellowship with God. I'm going to illustrate that. You don't just let anyone come into your house and stay, do you? What if you get home tonight and a man comes to the door you've never seen the man before? You don't know anything about him. And he says, I want to come into your presence. I want to come in and spend the night. You're not going to do that. Neither does God. Neither does God. To enter into fellowship with God, you must be righteous. God doesn't take into his family those who don't care about being right. Now... I'm going to punctuate something that has occurred to you very likely in the course of our study tonight. You get to the 15th Psalm and you understand you must be righteous to enter into fellowship with God. And you understand righteousness is described in a negative way in those phrases. But then you're very likely to say to yourself as you go through this, I don't meet the mark. I'm not righteous. Especially if you're not a Christian, if you've never obeyed the gospel. This may occur to you. It may be convicting. It may create grief. If you just read Psalm 15 without continuing into the New Testament. 
Psalm 15 becomes nothing for you but despair and defeat when you come face to face with your own sin. So once convicted by Psalm 15, what the convicted sinner needs to do is open up the New Testament. Because there you'll find good news. If you are convicted in Psalm 15, you discover good news in the New Testament. The book of Romans, for example, has the answer. You read Psalm 15 and you say, I just don't meet the mark. I, I'm, not, I'm not righteous. And then you begin to wonder, how can I be righteous? And you go to the New Testament and read the book of Romans and you can be righteous in Christ. You can be righteous in Christ. You can be buried with him in baptism in response to the gospel, repentance and confession, and then arise to walk in newness of life and you can walk in him, Colossians 2 and verse 6, and be righteous and be in fellowship with God. So I'm saying if you just had Psalm 15, it would just be so much moralistic teaching that would drive you to see that you're a sinner. But you don't have just Psalm 15. You've got everything else God has given. And you've got the New Testament. And you've got the message of salvation in Christ. So you don't need to be driven to despair just reading Psalm 15. Keep reading. I often say just keep reading. And God's solution is found in Christ. All right? <clears throat> I don't remember where... I heard this about Psalm 15. Very likely it was in a child's Bible class when I was a little boy. But it stuck with me. Think right, talk right, and walk right. That's a pretty good summary of what David describes about those in fellowship with God. God expects us, if we want to continue to be in relationship with Him to use his word and the example of his son so that we think right and we talk right and we walk right. And the only way we can do that is to be obedient believers in Jesus Christ. And as soon as we commit any of the sins that are listed in Psalm 15, we engage thoroughly in repentance. Now, I've got another takeaway that's going to take me a few minutes, so I'm going to pause again. Anything you'd like to add? Slander is easier today than it's ever been in the history of mankind. Now think about that a minute, and you probably know what I'm going to talk about. The talk right part of this becomes a real challenge, especially in our age. Now, remember what we talked about regarding slander. Slander occurs whenever someone says something untrue about someone else that results intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that someone else's reputation. Now, there's always been slander. If you were a participant in this sin back in David's time, 
slander would be distributed primarily person to person. In rare cases, there were written forms of slander, but generally in Israelite culture and in Gentile culture generally, if slander were engaged in, it would be distributed person to person. So there were no circulating newspapers that everybody picked up every day, uh, no telephone, television, internet, or social media. Today, we can spread something about someone that is damaging to millions of people within a fraction of the second after we thought it. By touching a button. You see what I mean? Slander is so much easier to distribute today. Slander is not new, but today it is just easier to quickly distribute. Now, what can I do about that? I can be more cautious in my use of digital and social media. I should spend more time thinking through what I'm about to send with the quick push of that button. I've told you this story before. Uh, I'm at the age where you're likely going to hear stories from me that you've heard before. But I remember I had a controversy with some guy. don't even remember what it was about. Years ago, this would be uh, probably about 47 years ago. And he responded to me in such a fashion that I sat down at my typewriter and I burned that typewriter up and responded. Boy, I tell you, I was eloquent, eloquent and probably arrogant, but I burned up the typewriter. And I took that letter and didn't seal the envelope, but on my way to the post office, I stopped by this older preacher's office. And I think what was happening in my immaturity was I was kind of proud of myself because I'd burned this guy so bad. And I wanted the older preacher to see, you know, look how I burned this guy. And the older preacher looked at it and read it, just kind of shook his head. He said, here's what you ought to do. You ought to take that letter home and mail it tomorrow. And I did. And what did I do the next day? Tore it up, threw it away. It was that lag time that saved me from being guilty. But I'm saying today it's much easier to cut the lag time out. And you have a thought or you have discovered something and you just immediately push that button. In an age of social media that lacks the, well, I read this the other day, functional information spreading restraints of past eras. Thought that was good. Functional information spreading restraints of past eras. You know what that was? You had to put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, go to the post office. And that functioned as a restraint for me. It put some lag time in there. We need to be very careful about that. We need to be cautious 
all the biblical warnings about slander apply but today on the platforms that we have digitally it is so much easier to do so build some lag time in there's actually an app that you can get for your phone <clears throat> and I looked this up the other day and before you send a message the app will ask you back are you sure you want to send this I think that's pretty good I may need to download that alright godliness not only demands speaking truth it demands living up to your own words have you ever made promises in the heat of a moment and later you discovered it's very hard to keep that promise I bet you have when you make the promise you are warm and generous and you seek to be helpful and reach out maybe you're impulsive and then time comes to fulfill that promise and your initial excitement runs into reality well what does integrity demand that to the best of our ability we do what we say Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount he said let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no I want to take you please to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 we've got the time to do that it plugs in nicely with what we're talking about in the 15th Psalm Ecclesiastes 5 listen to verses 4 through 7 when you vow a vow to God do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools pay what you vow it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands for when dreams increase and words grow many there is vanity but God is the one you must fear and Ecclesiastes 5 starts out at the top of the chapter talking about one's approach to God so live up to your word questions or comments I've got another couple of places I can go in about two or three minutes let's go here let's go to Matthew 12 36 and 37 I tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned let me give you a free flowing translation of this that has plugged into it a modern application I tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they post tweet or text for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned so that's Psalm 15 here's where we're headed you want to read ahead some <clears throat> 63 on Sunday and then one week from tonight we'll be in 107 
Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.